I also want to say we've been we're wrapping up our series here. Uh, it's like Pastor Marlowe mentioned just a few minutes ago. We've been going through this identity series, and uh, I'm wrapping it up with identity stolen. Now, I looked through all sorts of videos and stuff. There's a lot of good stuff out there on identity theft. It's a big issue. Like, just actually, if you're carrying your... I have a friend who carried his SIN card everywhere and lost his wallet regularly. Very dangerous. Identity theft is a very serious thing. I'm not here to talk to you about the dangers of having your credit card information stolen, but it's a good point to realize that that is something that is not good. Um, but I want to ask you this. Have you ever pretended to be somebody that you're not? Have you ever had a fake ID? It's kind of a weird question to be asked at church on a Sunday, right? But ch- stats are, and chances are, they probably is someone here who had a fake ID. I never needed a fake ID because I've looked like this for 20 of my 29 years. <laughs> I've just always looked old. Not saying I did it, and I'm not being proud of this, that this was the world around me. I'm just saying... Literally, when I was 15 years old, I had 17-year-old kids trying to get me to buy them cigarettes. I was like, what? You're older than me. That doesn't work. No. Didn't do it. I'm not going to buy you cigarettes. I'm 15 years old. It's crazy. Um, but I always looked old, so I never needed a fake ID. Never needed to really pretend to be anything I wasn't. Um, I, was, uh, I had a friend who actually got a fake ID. Wasn't even partying. Like, would go to the clubs and just Go. Wasn't, wasn't drinking, wasn't doing any of that stuff, but got the fake ID to go into these places. And you know what? While she wasn't like necessarily participating in the real negative side of that stuff, she was still pretending to be somebody she isn't. I tried to be someone I wasn't once. One time. It was when I was in grade seven. Like I said, I've always been a big guy. I was always, I'm not exactly the type of body built for skateboarding. Like, thin piece of plywood with wheels, projectiling down a hill. It's not a good idea. But Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 had come out, which was a fantastic video game if you've never had an N64, and I'm very sad for you if you never did, because it was a game changer, literally. Go, go, go to game, you can still get it at Game City. I, I suggest you go try it out if you haven't. It was a big deal, though. The culture was huge. We, everybody wanted to be a skateboarder, even the 260-pound awkward guy with size 16 feet in grade 12, like at 12 years old. I tried to be a skateboarder. I bought a skateboard. I was skateboarding with my friends. I just fell down all the time. Um, have you ever, like, literally, my my shoes are too wide for the board. It didn't work. It's not who I was. I wasn't designed at all. Like God, when he was in heaven, he's like, I'm going to make him so he can't skateboard. This is not, this is not part of the plan. That is not part of his future. And if he tries to make it a part of his future, he is going to learn very quickly that it's not going to work out. Skateboarding didn't work. And I have one more story. And I've been going back and forth literally till the moment I got up here as to whether I should tell this story. So let me just precursor it with, I understand that somebody did something bad in this and I'm not making light of it though it is very funny. So understand my tension before I begin. Mainly ladies, know that I see the flaw in this story. <laughs> see, did you guys hear Marlo just said you can't get in trouble for what you say? Um, my friends, I will protect their names because somebody might know them here. 
We'll call them Josh, who's one of my good friends, and Sarah. Now, one of my friends named Josh was kind of a bit of a rude guy. He liked to pull pranks, and then when you pull pranks on him, he didn't like it and got away with it. Josh, we wanted to get him back all the time, always looking for ways, but he's pretty good at getting away from pranks, getting away from, from being the butt end of the joke himself. So my other friend, D, he decided that he was going to get him. We found the phone number of a girl that we didn't really know, and text, and I, I shouldn't say we, it wasn't me. I, like, legitimately, it wasn't me. He took the phone number of this girl, Sarah, and, and texted her, posing as Josh. Following me? Just nothing crazy. But over the course of several months, began a romantic relationship, kind of. Had this girl convinced that they were, like, ready to date, which is mean and manipulative. I understand that. That wasn't funny. The funny part was when Josh came up to me and said, Jeff, I don't know what's up with this girl. She keeps winking at me. She keeps asking me when we're going for coffee. Keeps asking me when we're going for dinner. And she's just been making me very uncomfortable lately. And I don't know what's wrong. And it wasn't like he had gotten into crazy depth. Long story short, she was very angry. And her friends were very angry because I eventually felt bad and told her. See, I'm the good guy in this story. I was like, you know what? I get to laugh and look good at the end. So everybody loves Jeff at the end of the day. It was great. The point of the thing was, he was trying to be someone he wasn't. He was stealing an identity. He literally had tricked this person into believing that, that he was somebody he wasn't. I'd say we're like 17 years old, right? Like it's, it's at 29, 30 years old. We see the flaw. But there, there was definitely an identity theft involved in that as well. But really, have you ever thought about it? Do you ever try to be something you're not? Do you ever try to be somebody you're not? Do you ever put on that fake ID? Do you? I'll get right into it. There's two things that as I've been studying this and thinking about it that consume and steal from our identity. And there's kind of two ways I wanted to touch on it, two ways that that can happen that I want to address. And the first one is just that, it's consumption. The things that we intake into our lives, into our hearts, and into our minds that start to not just, it's not like they just sneak in in the night and take our identity away, but slowly erode at who God has designed us to be. That slowly take away from what we're doing that, and take away from what we're supposed to be doing. These are the things that we maybe don't make intentional decisions on, that we're not like, yeah, I'm going to go do this even though it's going to steal my identity in God. I don't think we've, if you've ever said that, it's kind of weird, but that's not how we approach things. These are usually things that happen slowly over time. Like I said, it's an erosion of character. It's an erosion of who we were designed to be, mostly unintentionally. I like to put it this way. Um, when you look at a windshield, the windshield, believe it or not, despite the fact from all of mine being fairly covered in cracks and dings and dents, they're actually a huge part of the structural integrity of your vehicle. Didn't know that until recently. But like the way that it being intact 
has a lot to do with how the rest of the vehicle is like safe in an accident. So having a windshield full of cracks is actually really dangerous in a rollover and in any other you know, high intensity collision situations. So when I see that little ding on the windshield, yeah, not a big deal. Then it spiders, I could pretend that's not there. And then it spreads out throughout the entire thing. I could see through it as long as I'm not driving west after three o'clock. And we'll put, ah, I'm blind, blinded by it. I'll put on some sunglasses, whatever. I can feel it on the inside. It's all the way through. I can put my fist through the windshield. It's not that big of a deal. Slowly but surely, it gets worse and worse and worse to the point where you can actually see that it's detrimental and to where it actually is way more dangerous than you would think it would be in, like I said, a collision situation. And that's what we do sometimes with these different things we consume that destroy our identity. It's the crack in the windshield that slowly but surely erodes away and takes away the structural or just the regular, the integrity of who we are and who God designed us to be. So Jeff, what are you talking about? Well, let me tell you. If you don't feel like you are where you need to be with your identity and who God has designed you to be, if you feel uncomfortable or you're not feeling like you're on the same wavelength as God and who you should be, here are the three questions I like to ask people. And these will generally cover it. What are you consuming? So are you reading your Bible? Are you reading your Bible? If you're sitting here today and you're saying, I don't feel like my identity is close to God. I don't feel like, you know, I'm made in the image of God. We've talked about that before in these past weeks. Made in the image of God. I don't feel like that. Are you reading scripture? I don't say that condescendingly. I'm honestly asking you, are you spending time? If you ever hear the word devotions in church, that's a churchy word for just saying spending time reading the Bible. Putting time aside to, to read the word of God, to see what God wrote to his children, to his people, and learning and just engaging in what he has to share with you. Number two, are you serving in your church? Are you actively doing stuff in the church? Are you serving, God, like doing God's work in the community? Are you helping out, number one, within these walls at this building? Have you found a way to serve, to use your skills and stuff like that? Or maybe it's beyond that. Maybe it's helping out, this is the most cliche thing ever, but like a soup kitchen or, or helping out with like Salvation Army or um, you know, Operation Christmas Child or something like that. Are you actively pursuing uh, righteousness and what God wants us to do? Are you actively seeking that? And here's a big one, and I'm not going to make this whole morning about this, but I'm, I'm definitely going to hit on it I, I, because it's a huge identity thief. Are you watching pornography? Are you engaging in pornographic anything on any level? video, picture, audio, books, whatever, I don't know. That is an absolute destructive force in our culture. And I feel like I can't do a, a sermon or a message, whatever you want to call this, on identity being stolen without at least touching on this. Because what we're seeing more and more is that and this isn't just in church cultures, uh, this is also in like universities and psychological uh, studies uh, in, a, in the secular world as well as the church. People are realizing that this is becoming the most destructive force in the world around us as far as how it impacts the way we think, the way our kids think, the way we grow up, 
how we engage in relationships, how we engage in marriage, the divorce rate, everything. It's destroying the, the world. It's, and uh, if, you don't, if you know the pastor out east, he's a fairly famous pastor, Kerry Newhoff, was quoted as saying, this is the number one most destructive thing for families in church. Absolutely. And the stats are astronomical, that the, the vast majority of people, even in church, have a problem with engagement in this activity. I don't say that to, to, to shame you guys, but stats show that there's people in this room who are dealing with this. So let's talk about it. This is something that needs to be dealt with. This is something that needs to be addressed. This is something that if you have a problem with today, you're sitting in this place, you're feeling uncomfortable now because it's an awkward conversation, needs to be dealt with. And here's how we know this just from a biblical standpoint, because we go to the Bible for all things because all the wisdom in the world is in there. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible, says this to the church in Corinth. Free from sexual immorality, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's pretty heavy. But what it's basically saying is that like all sin's really bad, but this one's really, really bad. Not in the sense of like you need to like worry that if you're engaging in that one, you're a worse person than a liar because we all know that all sin in God's eyes as far as the weight is equal. We don't judge based on that. But he's saying that this is more than just something that is outside of your body. This is something that actually impacts everything about you. This is something that will change your identity slowly, or at least create the illusion of that identity change. It will change how you think. It will change how you feel. It will destroy you. And it's interesting, he he uses a Greek word called pornea for this. And that's not just, you know, visual pornography. It's just kind of like a sexual immorality and intake of anything like that. Basically, here's the deal. Man, this is destroying our culture. It's destroying marriages. It's destroying minds. It's destroying identity, or at least twisting it. You need to deal with it today. And it might not be an immediate fix, but it needs to start with a conversation. I've heard lots of people uh, talk about how it really needs to be treated like a drug. Like, like, a, like It's like, I'm, I'm sick with this. I have this need to have a conversation. You need to have a support group. You need to have a conversation, be able to have that conversation. Um, this isn't just for men. The stats are staggering on women. Staggering. They're growing. The, the, the rate of your kids seeing this is something like seven and a half years old. So they're engaged in this on some level, potentially. So let's talk. And that's where I say it starts with a conversation. Husbands and wives, you need to be able to talk about this. Doesn't make it okay But if your spouse comes to you and and says that I've been dealing with this stuff, you have to be able to have a conversation. It can't just deteriorate. Doesn't make it okay. It doesn't mean that you have to be okay with it. Absolutely not. But that's where it begins. Guys in the church, girls in the church, if somebody in your small group comes to you, you need to be able to surround them and help them and start groups and, and conversations and text message conversations of support. That's massive. 
there's ways online. If you go to covenanteyes.com, um, it's an awesome resource to kind of keep accountability partners in there. Accountability is the way that you, that you beat all addictions and that you beat all problems like this. That's what you got to do. So let's start the conversation. I'm not going to make this morning I, there's all about that. There's more to talk about. But if you need to talk to somebody, talk to a pastor, but even more so, talk to a friend, talk to your spouse, talk to a family member, member get this figured out. I don't care if you're, if you're a teenager. I don't care if you're a male. If you're a female, I don't care if you're, if you're a middle-aged person. It just We got to start with the conversation about this. Because as important as this is and as dangerous as Paul's talking about this, there is always hope because Jesus never calls us to anything that he doesn't know that we can't beat, that we, that we can't get past. So know that there's hope this morning, even if you've been kind of feeling like garbage about it. I also want to talk about the second part of this. I want to talk about how we lose our identity, and I think this is, relates to culture a little more, and this is through uh, comparison and how we compare our lives to other people. And this one's really dangerous. This one's really, really dangerous. I've, I've, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about David and Goliath. And I, I preached on, on David and Goliath a couple of times in the last year. Um, and I, it just shows to me how the Bible can have multiple lessons from the same section or the same story over and over again. It doesn't matter how many times you read something. There's something new that God has for you in that. I wasn't planning on doing David and Goliath. I actually just preached on David and Goliath in a different way at like a kid's conference two weeks ago. So I was kind of like, oh man, here I am again, but it just fits so well. So if you're spending time in the Bible, sometimes it's okay to just go through the same scripture a couple of times over, the, over a week. Take a week and, and ponder and meditate and think on, on that. David and Goliath, if you don't know who David is, David's a guy uh, who was really small. He wasn't big at all. He was kind of the, the runt of the litter. There's a war between God's chosen people, which are the Israelites, and then there's the Philistines, who are these, this group of really mean people, is the best way I can put it. They're ruthless and aggressive, and they wanted to annihilate God's people, the Hebrews, the Jewish nation, and they're going to come, and they're going to have war, and they want to annihilate the Jews. They have a secret weapon, Goliath. Goliath, somewhere between 9 to 12 feet tall, he will obliterate literally any soldier just logically. He's going to be way bigger, way stronger, and anybody that goes to war with him is going to lose, like Mark Giordano did to Milan Lucic last night when he got hit. Very similar story. And David is not at war because he's too small. His brothers are all at war. They're all there. They're, they're, they're coming out, and they see Goliath come out, and he says to them, okay, here's the deal, Hebrews there's no point in all of us fighting. That's more bloodshed than we need to. I'm the biggest. I'm the strongest. Just send out your biggest warrior. We'll fight one-on-one. -on -one. Whoever wins, wins the war. Good deal. Nobody will fight Goliath. And every day he comes out, intimidates them, curses their God, scares them to death, and they decide we're not going to fight him. Eventually this is going to break down, and, it's, and this isn't going to be able to go on forever. But it, he kind of liked it. He liked to be intimidating. He was a bit of a jerk. And this happened over and over again. Finally, David's dad, where he, who owned the farm where David was working with sheep and was, was a shepherd and tending to these, to these animals, says, hey, bring some supplies to your brothers. You know, it's been a little while. I'm worried about them. So David walks over carries these supplies, and as he arrives, he sees this monster Goliath come out again. And Goliath comes out and calls them out and says, who's going to fight me? I'll kill you. Your God is nothing. Calls everybody out. 
And David's like, who's going to get him? Who's going to fight this guy? Everyone kind of looks at him because he's probably, I'm, I'm assuming, under five feet tall. It's kind of the range that I've gotten. It's a 12-foot giant over there. They say, well, who are you to kind of call us out? Like, of course nobody's going to fight. What do you think? Are you going to fight him? No way. And he volunteers. Says, if no one else will fight him, I'll do it. God will have my back. Doesn't mean he wasn't scared. Doesn't mean he didn't have apprehension. But he knew that God had his back. He had seen the history of what God had done for their people. A time and time again come through for them. And decided, I'm going to do it. So the king at the time goes up to him and says, hey, if you're going to do it, I think, I don't know what I'm thinking here, but someone's got to go, and if you're the only one brave enough to take a step forward on the battlefield, I guess that's you. And he gives him his armor. He puts his armor on him. So like, I'm thinking like chest plate, like, like, like I'm thinking like, put like my hockey equipment on like a three-year-old is kind of what I'm picturing. And it says that he couldn't move. He's like, this isn't really what I'm able to work with. Like everything's too heavy. I can't even build this or pick up this, this, uh, this sword. What am I going to do? So what he does is he ends up going to a, a stream and picking up these stones and taking his slingshot and goes out into the battlefield the next day. And as Goliath comes out, he's obviously a little perturbed that this little person is coming out at him. And this is the warrior that he's gotten. So he's extra angry. He's probably foaming at the mouth. And as he walks forward, David takes the stones, takes the sling that he would have spent time practicing when he was a shepherd back home, sails it across, hits the giant in the forehead, and wham, down on the ground. David runs out, cuts off the giant's head, stands like the toughest guy ever with this giant's head, and the army of the Philistines runs away with their tail between their legs. So here is what I get out of this story. And if you want to read more, I should say it's in 1 Samuel 17 in your Bible app or in your Bible. But the reason I share this in the opposite of that story is this. Think back to the moment when David was told to put on that armor. When David was asked to put on that heavy, heavy armor made sense by the standards of how war was fought and how that world around him existed, that that would be what he needed to do. That would be the, the mask, the shield that he would need to put on in order to be successful at that element of his life. But it really wasn't. That would have been him putting on the wrong identity. Work with me on this one. His identity was in what God needed him to be. Who he needed to be in that moment wasn't a warrior with, with armor on and a sword and a shield. It was exactly what God had called him to be all along. He was good enough as he was designed by God, working as a small boy shepherd in a field. He was equipped with the tools that he needed as a shepherd with a slingshot and a stick for all those years while, his, while all of his brothers got all the attention, all the glory for being bigger, stronger, better in every way, God had already equipped him with what he needed to face that giant. It wasn't what the world had told him, what the king had told him he needed to be. It wasn't the sword. It wasn't the shield. It was the slingshot and the stick, which I don't think any of us have decide, would have decided that's what we need. Right? So what does that have to do with us? I think a lot of times we're trying to put on that armor. 
I know I am, all the time. When the world says, put on the armor, I don't go and say, I'm good enough to achieve that. I'm good enough to achieve success. God designed me with enough in my arsenal to achieve the success that I'm called to. When I look at the things that I feel like I'm supposed to do, sometimes I think, well, I should be more like this person. I want to be like that person. If I was only more charismatic like this person, if I was a better salesperson like this person, if I was a better dad or mom or, or if my kids were better behaved or if I just had, you know, that quad that my neighbor has, you know, the three I have, they're, they're not as new. If I could have a boat, if I could have that promotion, maybe if I was a little smarter, if I was better looking, Maybe I'd be more successful. But what the story of David Goliath shows us here is that you don't need to compare. You don't need to be like anyone else. You don't need to take someone else's armor and put it on you and live that because that's not the tools you were designed to need. God's been working with you. God's been giving you giving you the, the, the skills and the tools that you need that you were born with and that he's been helping you to develop and that are, whether you need to practice like David did when he was a shepherd fending off animals for his sheep with a slingshot for the moment that's coming that God has been calling you to or not or you're already an expert in those areas at what you're naturally good at. God has called you to that. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to you? It's so important to understand this because I think we spend so much time trying to be like other people, trying to, you know, the classic keep up with the Joneses, trying to be something we're not. I know for pastors this can happen where we look at these guys that are great communicators and they are on stages in front of thousands of people and we need to be like them. We need to be, we need to be like, like this famous person. I'll give you another example. There's some churches, youth groups that do amazing jobs and, and it's awesome. They're, they're really cool and their, their services, church services are amazing and they reach kids that don't know Jesus. And I always wanted to be like that. I wanted to come here and have these, these really awesome, like really flashy youth services with tons of kids coming and we have these awesome videos and it's a church service. And that's how we were gonna reach these kids. Now every week I don't preach. We make videos on a screen, a green screen, and man, are they dumb. They're just insane. But they communicate the gospel in a very unique way, and we've learned that over time. These are skills that I was kind of just learning for no reason, just for fun. But because of that, because Treby comes out dressed up like a doctor, dancing to a song from the 90s this week, because we show our, the gospel through that way, because we have this kind of misfit group, we've reached Lots of kids, more than the way that I wanted to be like. Our ministry took on the identity that God wants it to have, not the identity that I decided it should look like. And that's where we became the most successful. And there's a reflection in your life that could come from that story. You are good enough the way God made you. You might have to practice a bit, but you don't have to be like other people to, to please God and to succeed it says in, in Galatians 10, or 1.10, and this is Paul again talking, he says, I'm saying, this now to win, uh, I, I'm saying this now to win the approval of people or God, or am I saying this now to win the approval of people or God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be Christ's servant. We're called to be servants of Christ. We're not supposed to please people. 
We're not supposed to be people pleasers. We're not supposed to achieve the standard that someone else set. We're supposed to achieve the standard that Jesus set before us, the, the, whatever God has called us to. And that's so important. And I know it can be kind of scary sometimes to be like, man, how are we going to do this? Like, God's, God's calling me to this scary thing. And I, like I said, I wish I could be more like this person and then I'd be able to do this. Here's the thing that it's hard to explain, but this is mind-blowing to me once I kind of caught this and grasped this. God is, exists outside of time. Think about that. So literally, he exists in a place where you have already succeeded. I always used to think that he was like, I'm calling you to this. Yeah, like I have a, based on the mathematical equations, because I'm really smart because I'm God, I think the, the chances are, odds are that you'll do really well and you can, you're going to do okay. So it's like a logical thing to go. No, God ex- exists where you've already succeeded and he's drawing you to that place. Think about that. He's not calling you because he thinks there's a good chance that you're going to be able to succeed. God exists in that space, and he's saying, I'm here, you did it. I know you can because you did, so just follow me. If you listen to me, we'll get there together. So know this morning this. There's hope no matter what you're walking through. Your identity is found in Jesus, and you don't need to compare yourself to other people. Nothing steals from you like comparison. Just be who God called you to be and be thankful that God created you to be who you are. And that takes work. But it's, it starts with being thankful and praying every day and saying, thank you, God. Thank you for what you've given me. So I want to pray for you. And then we're going to get into some coffee time together. So we just bow your heads. God, we just thank you this morning uh, that you are everything that we need, that you've designed us the way we are. God, we pray against these things that slowly erode our lives, or our identities, God. That, uh, that distort how we see ourselves and how we are and, and our reflection of you. God, I just pray that if there is things like pornography or maybe it's, maybe it's just like the, the media or the content that we, we put into our minds, God, that we would course correct on that and that we would uh, we'd seek out help and accountability and that as a church we could help each other through that. Um, that there wouldn't be condemnation, but there'd be, uh, there'd be just ex- acceptance and love and help in that. Um, God, we pray that we wouldn't uh, compare ourselves to each other, God, that that you'd help us to be okay with who we are, that you would help us to to be confident in the tools and the skills that you've given us and we were born with because you designed us for that. God, guide us towards you, and we pray that every day when we go to bed, we'd be more like you than when we woke up. Thank you for your word. Thank you for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.